Hey, my name's Jamie, and I'm the pastor of East Cobb Church. So good to see you. If we haven't met yet, uh, I hope to meet you. I'll be down front after the, after the service today. We'd love to put a face with a name. Uh, but I'm excited for to have a few minutes together today. I want to talk about something really specific and really special that has to do with East Cobb Church in the coming months. Before we get going, though, a quick story. At Labor Day weekend, my family and I went to the lake. We went on a little lake vacation. My brother's got a lake house, and my parents came, and we came, and our, all our kids. It was like this full, really full house. And uh, it was a lot of fun. We also had a couple of firsts uh, for the lake. We, uh, first off, my youngest son, Austin, had his first time ever going tubing. And I think we even had yeah. a um, yeah, there he is. Wow, there was some noise there for a second. But, uh, you know, here he is, this little booger, holding on for dear life, you know, just like flailing around, barely keeping the girls standing up. They had a great time. Now, that was the, the G-rated version of the tubing. It got more intense with my son, my older son, our oldest child. Uh, here's him with his cousin. And they were, you know, talking big game, like, you can't throw us. Yeah, you, whatever. Uh, <laughs> you wish. Uh, <clears throat> so that was the first, um, one of the first that we had. Uh, but the other first that happened, it was actually this pretty cool moment, especially as a dad. It, it, it happened when my brother, so I have an older brother, and that's his lake house, uh, when he looked at my son, my oldest son, and he said these words right here. All right, your turn. Everybody say, your turn. Yeah, all right, your turn. And Cashman's like, what, my turn to tube? And he was like, no, your turn to drive the boat. And Cashman's eyes went, you know, like so big. He's like nine years old. And he was like, me, me drive the boat, you know, just like, oh my gosh, could not comprehend that he would be entrusted driving the boat, you know, for the whole family. And even he pulled the, the, the tube behind him and he couldn't believe it, but, uh, he did this picture and you know, his, this is my brother driving it with him. I mean, it wasn't just him. Don't worry. We're not that irresponsible. Uh, some of you are like, oh my gosh, like call the, the lake police, whatever they are. Um, no, I mean, this is my brother and that's Cashman. And, and it was a landmark, you know, one of those watershed moments in, in his life. He's still talking about it. Like, oh my gosh, I got to drive the boat. And, and, you know, chances are you maybe have some memories in your childhood that are like that. They were like your turn kind of moments. Like maybe when somebody let you drive the car or the boat or the, I don't know, the go-karts or the whatever, you know, the golf cart that you had at your house. Uh, or maybe it was a time that you got to choose something. Like even you remember the first time that you got to choose, I don't know, where your family ate for dinner or the movie you watched or where you went on vacation. Or, or as a kid, being put in charge of something for the first time. Like, honey, you're in charge of the dog now, you know, and you're like, whoa, I'm in charge. It's my turn, you know, or, or in charge of your other siblings. Like you were the oldest and you babysat or you're the youngest, but just more responsible. Uh, I, I don't know, or some household important thing that you got put in charge of, and it stuck with you, like you can remember it to this day, this idea of, oh, it's, it's your turn. Um, but that's not just a childhood thing, it happens in life too, you know? Um, here's some of ones that I remember in my last, you know, several years of life. Let's see, like parents, uh, you remember the, that first time, and maybe every time, but especially that first time that you you know, created a human being and you go to the hospital and the whole thing goes down, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, like they're it, he, she is. And, uh, and, 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 and the hospital staff are taking care of everything, right? You know, it's like, okay, they've got this, they've got this, they've got this. But this moment comes when they look at you and go, everybody say, your turn. Yeah, and they put a human being in your arms and send you out the door into the car and they're like, high five, good luck. And you're like, uh, are you serious? Like, yeah, it's your turn. You go take care of this child. Oh my goodness, that changed the rest of my life, right? 
Uh, or maybe it was the first time somebody let you try something new that you never thought you could do before. Like I remember um, being an intern in our family of churches and, you know, so I spent most of my career here. So these are the stories I have, but maybe you've got one similar in your profession um, where I'd always like looked up on stage at the people talking and I'd never done it before. And I thought, oh, that's admirable. I, that's, that would scare me to death. I could never do that. And I remember the Sunday where um, I was standing there watching somebody like preach or whatever. And my boss looked at me and he goes, hey, next Sunday, I want you to give the sermon. Everybody say, your turn. turn. (laughs) I was like, uh... No, I don't do that. That's not in my repertoire, okay? Uh, uh, But nevertheless, he was like, no, I want you to do it. And I did. And I got to work and got busy because it was my turn, you know? Um, Or here's another one. I remember when I got the call to come be the pastor of East Cobb Church, right? And uh, my whole life, I've been in my my career or whatever, I've been a student pastor. And and like the pastor pastor was always just this other category. You know, it's like somebody older or wiser or whatever, you know? And then all of a sudden I got a call and I'm like, oh my gosh, everybody say, your turn. Yeah, your turn. And I was like, man, it changed the course of my life. But I remember that pit in my stomach of like, oh my goodness, that's like me now, you know? And uh, these moments in our lives when somebody says, hey, it's your time, it's your opportunity, it's now your responsibility, it's now your open door, it's now on you. If nobody does it, and if, I'm sorry, if you don't do it, nobody's going to do it. I mean, these moments, they tend to be often moments that we remember, sometimes for the rest of our lives, because they also tend to be often moments that change, that influence, that impact, maybe even redirect the course of our lives. And that is exactly what I hope happens today for us as a church and for you sitting here today, whether you consider yourself a part of our church or not. That's exactly what I hope happens today because it turns out Jesus had a really, really significant and a really, really famous and a really, really daunting your turn moment with his disciples In fact, it was so significant, it made such a mark that all four gospel writers included in their gospels. That's not true of every story. This one left such a mark that all four of them describe it in vivid detail. They're like, oh, yeah, 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 let me tell you about the time when Jesus did that. And it's found in all four gospels. I'm going to read mostly from Mark, if you want to turn your Bibles to Mark 6. Um, But uh, I'm going to also use material from all four of them. But uh, man, this is the story that I want to read to you today. And uh, it's a story that I want to invite you not just to listen to, but to think about, to meditate on, to chew on a little bit and, and ponder. And not only that, but it's a story, especially as East Cobb Church, that I'm inviting you to step into with me and maybe just maybe decide to bring it into reality, to make it come alive, to do the live action remake, if you will, right here, right now in East Cobb Church, in our community. And here's why, because I believe this story is gonna define the next decade of East Cobb Church and what God is calling us to. And more specifically, and perhaps more urgently, I believe that this story is gonna define this next season that we're walking into. A lot of you are aware that we have embarked as East Cobb Church on what we are calling the move. Uh, we are moving East Cobb Church from this location to Fellowship Christian School, mainly because that enables us to move from the 4 p.m. service time to a morning service time. It'll eventually allow us to offer multiple services. We can't do that here. Um, and we are busy preparing for that. Our first Sunday is going to be November 12th in the new facility. It's here as it is. The uh, Fellowship Christian School is beautiful. It's going to be amazing. We're going to be meeting in this building over here. And um, it's going to allow us to do a lot of things that we currently are not able to do. And so we are actually actively getting ready for the move. 
to go here and move our church there. November 12th is the first. If you have an RSVP, please do so. We would like to know that you're coming. Um, and as, I, as we've been announcing this, you know, if you're on our email, you saw we kind of announced it in the details a couple weeks ago. It was just this last week. And as we've been announcing it, I knew this Sunday was coming up. And I, and I knew, like, well, I need to talk about the move. And I, and I was praying. I mean, just candidly, I was praying, God, what do you want me to say? Like, what's, what do you want me to say about this? And what do you want me to tell our church? And uh, truthfully, I had something different in mind to talk about. But I, sincerely, this doesn't happen every time. I, I promise. I'm not just making this stuff up. Um, but sincerely, I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, no, I want you to tell them this story. I want you to remind them of this story because this story is what I'm up to in these days, in these coming months, and I think these coming years. And so that's my invitation to you today. I'm inviting you to step into this story with me and to consider with me as your pastor, as your friend, as your neighbor, consider with me how maybe God is calling us to make what happened then happen now to make what happened there happen right here with us in our community. And my goal is really simple. My goal is just to bring clarity to what I believe God's role is for you in this move and to whet your appetite, kind of stir your heart, get you a little bit excited about what might happen if you said yes to the role he's inviting you to play. And by the way, if you're not a Christian or you're new to our church or you're visiting, you're like, I'm not really sure I'm part of this. You may be assuming, oh man, I came on the wrong Sunday. This is definitely not for me. This is for somebody else. I just want you to know, I don't think that's true at all. Uh, I hope that this story today feels like an invitation to you as well. And, and here's how I would say it. Here's what I'd say. So as I'm reading, here's how I would think about it. Uh, if you like what you see Jesus doing and what you see Jesus' followers doing in this story, then I would, say, I would invite you to join us. Like if you like what you see being done here, I would invite you, come help us do what you see being done here. Come help us be the kinds of people that you see these people trying to be here because Lord knows we could use the help and we're a work in progress even on our best day. So I hope this story to you feels like an invitation as well. But even if it's not, even if you're like, nah, you know, I'm, I'm just visiting or the church thing's not my thing or Jesus, I'm really not sure what I think about him. Um, that's totally cool. At a minimum though, here's what I do, I do think. If this isn't an invitation, I hope it does feel like an inspiration for you. I think that's the value of this story. Like, you know, sometimes you read a story and you go like, man, that's what I needed to hear. That was inspiring. Like it just kind of prompted me. It kind of like prompted me to go be a little more who I think I want to be and do what I wish I would do with my life. I hope the story does that. Because uh, there's a character in the story, and by the way, don't worry if you're not a Christian, it's not Jesus. There's a character in the story um, that I want you to focus on and that I hope inspires you and maybe shapes your life a little bit this week. Uh, maybe gives you a fresh sense of, okay, my turn. It's my turn. I need to go do something. I hope that happens from this character. In fact, if you got kids, I think this is a character you should tell your kids about this week that maybe it would inspire them and shape their lives a little bit and form their worldview as they're going to school and doing whatever it is that they do. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, if, if, if there are moments in the talk where you feel like I'm kind of locked in on East Cobb Church, I ask for your forgiveness. This is a special sermon. We're talking about a special day in the life of our church, but I do promise and I do hope that along the way you see me giving you some connections um, as well because I hope it can be inspiring to know us no matter who we are. But here it is. The story is called, and you, you know it. If you've been in church, you're gonna go like, oh yeah, 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 I know this story. Um, the story uh, 
is called the feeding of the 5,000. And here's the context. So the Jesus movement has, has, has kicked off. You know, Jesus has started his public ministry of teaching and preaching and healing and meeting needs and, um, you know, gathering with people. And, 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 and he has sent, um, he's been going all around Galilee, the area where he's been teaching, preaching and visiting and doing all this kind of stuff. And he has sent his disciples out to some of the towns ahead of him to kind of get them ready for him to come visit these different towns around the Galilee area. And the context is they've come back. They've gone and visited and they've come back. Um, and it's at a point in Jesus's public ministry where it's been pretty manageable, but it's starting to get a little bit unmanageable. It's starting to grow beyond like what they can handle. But, and, and this is kind of how the whole thing plays out. This is one of the first moments where they really feel this tension. Uh, the apostles, they gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And uh, then because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. Theme of this story, right? Um, he said to them, hey, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. You've been going, going, going. People have been everywhere. This thing is kind of getting a little out of control, a little bit unmanageable. Let's go by ourselves and let's rest and recharge. Unfortunately, uh, that didn't happen. So they went away by themselves in a boat. So they're going across um, the, the, the lake, the water of the Sea of Galilee to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns. I mean, this isn't five. This is like 5,000. Um, all the towns and they got there ahead of them. So they're trying to retreat. People notice and word spreads. And literally from all the towns, people go ahead and gather where they, they kind of know where they're going. They're like, oh yeah, we know where they're going. Let's go, go over there. And that's what happened. So uh, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. This is the context. There's a movement that started with 12 guys meeting in homes and in the town square and like little farmhouses and stuff like that. And now it's just grown. It's just gotten beyond that. They're no longer in the farmhouse. They're like trying to find fields, you know? And... Um, their central problem is that they're trying to find more seats around Jesus for their friends and family. Remember, that all the towns come out. You said their friends, family, and neighbors. And their central problem is, oh man, we got to figure out how to create some more seats around Jesus for our friends and neighbors. And that's why this is our story, East Cobb Church. I'm like, well, no wonder God wanted me to talk about this because right from the start, it's like, there we are. You know, we see ourselves in the story because that's what, that's what we're doing. That, that's why we're moving. We're not just moving because we just get a new time or a new place. We're moving because we want to create more seats around Jesus for our friends and neighbors. That's the whole point. That's what we're doing. You know, and, and in some senses, we need more physical seats. Like, I don't know if you've been to our student ministry with all these students, but they physically cannot fit in the space. Like, they spill out into the hallway. Uh, our, our high school ministry has that come in here. Um, and, uh, I mean, literally, we're just, like, running out of room in our, in our student ministries on our high Sundays, you know, in those times of year where attendance really spikes because everybody comes to church. We start running out of room in our children's ministry, and we can't do two services in this location. So it's just like, that's just the way it is. And we're always scrambling, like, how can we create more seats? How can we create more seats? And, 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 and then on, on the Sundays, on the, the Easter and Christmas, you know, when we go to Sunday mornings, um, we got people sitting in overflow every single time for three straight years. And we can't do Christmas and Easter and the holidays here because the church is using it. And, and so, yeah, there's some like real sense in which like we actually just like need more, more seats. It's not like the farmhouse anymore. Like we need like the field, you know, to use the analogy of their situation. Um, so that's true. There's some instances in which we need some more physical seats. But then on the other hand, we also just need some more seats 
at a better time. Man, we really need that too. Because here's the deal. A couple of times I've asked you guys like, hey, raise your hand if you know someone or you have invited someone and they wanted to come to our church, but they couldn't because of the time that we meet. 4 p.m. on Sundays, right in the middle of like sports and life and everything that's going on. And when I do that, almost every single person in the room goes, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I got totally, I got totally got friends. I totally got people that I literally have invited and they're like, oh, 4 p.m. Check you later, you know? And that's just the truth. There's not enough room on the calendar at 4 p.m. on Sundays and we need to create some more seats at a better time. And so there we are, right in the story. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're trying to create more seats at a better time. And, uh, and, I, and I love that connection just right from the beginning. But that's just the context. I think what God really wants us to see is actually what happens next. And here's what happens next. By this time, it was late in the day. And so his disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place and it's already very late. So send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. The disciples, they tune into the fact, I mean, all these people here, Jesus has compassion. He starts teaching, doing his thing, creating more seats around Jesus. And, and, and the disciples, they tune into the fact they got a problem because they're in the remote part of, of, of the area. Um, the day is ending. There isn't a town immediately nearby and they're realizing like, oh my goodness, people are going to get hungry. I mean, it was an impromptu event. So the Chick-fil-A catering order, you know, didn't make it in time, couldn't get it together. And so they're like, oh no, what do we do? We got a problem. And this is the problem. The problem is that we're hungry. We're hungry. And listen, I don't want to read too much into the story, but man, when I read this passage and preparing for this, this part kind of got me. Like this part just... For some reason, it felt important to me. It felt important to me to point out that the disciples not only recognized that they were hungry, which by the way is the most common, you know, one of the most common human sensations, right? You know, you feel it when you're hungry. You care when you're hungry. You get hangry when you're hungry. You know, you move, you do something when you're hungry and you, and you, and you do it pretty soon. It's one of the most universal human sensations. We feel it every day, multiple times a day. Everybody notices when they are hungry. Have you ever known someone though who always notices when somebody else is hungry? Do you have that person in your life? I hope you do. They're an awesome person. For me, it was always my grandmother. It didn't matter when we came to visit my grandmother. She uh, not only would always have food there ready, but she had already anticipated where we were in our, like, our meal planning calendar and, and not only had something ready, but had like the next 24 hours planned out. You know, you walk in the door, third or fourth sentence is like, well, I got some biscuits over there if you need them. You know, like I got some chicken ready. I got some lima beans. You know, I mean, I got some pumpkin pie. I knew you like pumpkin pie. Always. She was always thinking about, you know, I know you're hungry. She was like know you were hungry before you were hungry you know and you're like oh my gosh how did you know and and maybe you got that person too like it's your it was your friend's mom or your mom who could do that too like she would say lunch is ready and you're like oh my gosh how did you know I'm starving you know like I didn't even know and she knew before I did how did that happen or it's your spouse or like that friend whose house you go over to every time and they just always have that little tray of snacks because they just knew they knew before you did that you just needed a little salty snack. The, the, you know, like the, 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 the chips with that corn dip from Trader Joe's. You might know that corn dip from Trader Joe's. Ooh, or the pimento cheese, the palmetto pimento cheese with the, uh, the, 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 the jalapenos. Like, mm-mm, let's go. Uh, 
man, I hope you've got someone like that. But there's just something special about that. Somebody who notices and who cares when you're hungry. And that just, that felt important to me. It felt important to me that the disciples, they not only noticed that they were hungry, but they became acutely aware and concerned about the fact that all of their friends and neighbors were hungry as well. And that felt important because that's what has to define us as a church in this season. I think that's what's gonna make or break the next five years of what God is calling us to do. Are we gonna be a church who sees the hunger? Like, will we see the hunger? Will we be heartbroken by the hunger that we see? Will we be mobilized and motivated and moved by the hunger that we see? Will we see the hunger? I think this is gonna be a foundational question for us. And you might be sitting there going like, well, yeah, yeah, we should, we totally should. Um, I mean, like, don't we have like food kitchen and like the food bank and like must ministries? And yeah, we actually do. Um, There's food kitchens and banks all over the city that we support. And like we're in the middle of Be Rich right now, which is one of the big times where we just give a lot of money directly to those for them to stock their shelves and trying to stock them for like the whole year. That's one of our goals if we can, you know, it's really hard to do that. Um, But we certainly have all that going on. It's really phenomenal what people are doing in our county and our community to help those facing food scarcity. And we're certainly like actively wanting to be a huge part of that. But here's the deal. Uh, I'm not just talking about physical hunger. I'm, I'm also talking about like our universal hunger for purpose and meaning. Our universal hunger for connection and love. Our, our universal hunger for justice and for righteousness. Our universal hunger for healing and grace and freedom, our our universal hunger for compelling and life-giving relationships, for a a successful and meaningful vocation and a thing to do with our lives. I'm I'm talking about our universal hunger for um, our lives being the way we dreamed that they would be, the way we sensed that God intended them to be, that universal hunger in us for the world to be the way that we sense it was meant to be. Uh, I'm talking about our universal hunger for God and for his blessing in our lives and his leadership in our lives and, and his intimacy, his closeness in our lives. I'm not talking about our universal hunger, whether, whether somebody would like identify it this way or not, I believe it's there, the universal hunger for the forgiveness and the grace and the everlasting life of Jesus that he won for us through his death and resurrection resurrection. Like that's the kind of hunger that I'm also talking about. And there's no food bank for that. And we've all got it. Every single one of us, every single person, you know, and every single person you come in contact with. And I just got to say, hey, East Cobb Church, as a group of people who have found the bread of life, you know, Like Jesus said, I am the bread of life, not just the bread of lunch. I'm the bread of life. If somebody partakes of me, they will, they will never be hungry again. They will be fulfilled. Like they will be satisfied. And as a group of people who have literally found the bread of life, like who have a personal relationship with the one who can give us meaning and purpose, with the one who loves us unconditionally just as we are, but loves us too much to let us stay that way. As a group of people who, who knows 
personally the one whose grace and mercy is new every single morning. The one who can satisfy not just our physical needs, but the desires of our souls. The one who, as a group of people who, who personally knows the one who can be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path and a director of our life and a giver of wisdom. As a group of people who know the one who can heal what is hurt and fix what is broken and find again what is lost and restore what is ruined and hello, like, like raise what is dead back to life. As those people who know and have found the bread of life, are we gonna stay so focused on our wants and needs and preferences on our hunger or are we gonna see someone else's? Are we going to be heartbroken by somebody else's? Are we going to be mobilized to move and act on behalf of someone else's? Are, are, we going to, are we going to think to ourselves, oh yeah, I'm not the only one who's hungry. <laughs> like I'm not the only one who needs the love of God every day that I wake up. I'm not the only one who needs the provision of God, like literally every single day that I wake up. I'm not the only one who needs the guidance and the the protection and the, the leadership of God every single day that I wake up. Hey, Jesus, the people are hungry. You should probably do something. Like, are we gonna have that thought? And that's why this is our story. This is why I think, God, through the Holy Spirit was like, hey, you need to read this story. Because man, I love being fed by Jesus at church and these songs and the people and the community that we've got. Man, I, to be honest with you, I have loved doing church here with y'all. But Jesus is inviting us to remember we're not the only ones. We're gonna have to find some more seats at a better time. And by the way, if, if you're not a Christian, I told you, you know, hey, there's connections for you in here. Like if you're like, man, church is not my thing. The whole Jesus part of life thing, whatever. I don't, I don't know about that. But um, man, I think the takeaway for you is this, that one of the most powerful questions you can ever ask, be careful before you ask this question of your life and yourself. But I think one of the most powerful questions you can ever ask is whose hunger breaks your heart? Whose hunger breaks your heart? And, and you might be like so many of us that you go, I don't know. And instantly go, but I wish it wasn't that way. And maybe you need to start asking that question. Whose hunger breaks my heart? Maybe you need to get your kids and your family to start asking, hey, what problem, what need, what thing breaks our heart? Because shouldn't we be tuned into it? Shouldn't we be people who see the hunger? Are we going to be neighborhoods and communities? Can we possibly become a neighborhood and a community who sees the hunger? Or will we be too, too consumed with our own? And I mean, shoot, we could just end the story there because that's a pretty powerful point. It's a pretty powerful point, but we can't because one, story's not over. Uh, and two, it, you know, just seeing the hunger like isn't enough. Just seeing somebody's need or hunger or whatever, it leads to a lot of thoughts and prayers, you know? Oh, yeah, I'm thinking about that, which is fine. Prayers are great, but Jesus has something far more radical in mind, something far more significant and something far more daunting and scary. Uh, and so, so I want to keep reading. The disciples are asking, hey, Jesus, like people are hungry. We should do something about it. Like, hey, we've noticed our friends and neighbors are hungry. Like you need to do something about it. Uh, and his response is, is, is what I think should echo in our soul as a church. I love his response. It's so surprising. Uh, and in fact, this response, I think if you wanted like a one sentence explanation for why we created this church and why we're moving the church, this is it right here. Um, they're like, hey, Jesus, you should do something. People are hungry. The people are hungry, you should do something. The people are hungry, you should do something. And Jesus goes, uh, uh, he answered them, no, 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 no. 
You give them something to eat. Everybody say, your turn. Oh, you can do better than that. Everybody say, your turn. turn. Yeah. Jesus is like, nah, I don't need to go to the town. You give them something to eat. Excuse me? Yeah. No, no, no. They don't need a farm. They don't need a market. You give them something to eat. Don't look around to your right. Don't look around to your left. Don't look at me. I got a different idea. It's your turn. You give them something to eat. And they're like, uh, is he being serious right now? Like, you mean you're talking to us? Like, who, me? It's like, yeah, you. You feed them. And this sends them, of course, into a panic. You know, they're like, this is what? Five, there's like 5,000 plus people here. And by the way, that's just the men. So there's like thousands of people here. How in the world are we going to feed him? There's no way this is going to happen. I don't even know what we're going to do. This is impossible. There's no possible way. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And you see their different personality types start to come out a little bit. It's kind of interesting, you know. Uh, uh, some people, when they have a problem, are thinkers. And that's Philip. Philip starts like doing, you know, calculations. Philip answered him, uh, well, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of us to have a bite. You know, he's like over there like tabulating stuff, uh, you know, adjusting for inflation. And he's getting nowhere. He's like, it doesn't work, you know? Uh, now, on the other hand, other people, they don't think. They just go and do. Andrew and Peter are an example of this. Um, they evidently just start running around being like, food! We need food! Who's got food? We're all going to die, you know? Uh, and I'm just exaggerating. But another disciple, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he's been running around being like, we need some food! You need some food. And, and he's, he's having just as poor luck. You know, Philip's calculation's not working out. Andrew's running, screaming's not working out either. And, 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 and this is where the hero of the story comes in, or at least the one that I think you should tell your kids about this week. I think should inspire us this week because there's this boy. And same, Andrew says, hey, here's this boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But I mean, come on, how far will that go? Among so many. So there's this kid in the audience, there's this kid in the field, and he's got a lunchbox. And evidently, he's the only one that responds to Andrew. Andrew's like, we need food! And the kid's like, (laughs) you know? Andrew's like, yeah, come here, what do you got? Are you serious? A lunchbox? You know, someone, some kid's mom packed him a lunchbox. Which, by the way, if she was alive and could hear us talk about the story, how mad do you think she would be? You mean, she's like, you mean you're telling me you called this story like the boy with the five loaves and two fishes? I packed him his lunch and he argued with me. He was like, mom, I don't need a lunch. It's lame. And I was like, no, you're going to get hungry. No, I won't, mom. You're getting bread and fish. Oh, I don't like fish. Well, it's all we've got. You're going to take it. And then I packed the boy. No, it's the mom. I'm gonna pack the lunch. You made the miracle happen. Thank you very much. You know, it's like, Cynthia, calm down. It's going to be okay. We see you, you know, like here's a gift card to treat your feet. Go, you know, to therapy. But like, uh, anyway, I'm sure she would have that reaction to this story because we know that boy didn't do it. But anyway, nevertheless, um, he's standing there with Andrew and Jesus and it's just a pathetic scene. You know, Jesus is like, hey, so what do you guys have? <laughs> and boy's like, and he was like, yeah, we got like five loaves and, and two fish. Really? Oh. And he's like, how in the world, how, how far will, will that go? And, that, and that's, of course, when it happens. The story that we still remember to this day. Jesus, I imagine, with a twinkle in his eye, uh, as if to say, you want to know how far it will go? 
Well, let me show you. Uh, he says, bring him to me. Yeah, here, bring him here. And uh, he does. And then that's when the whole miracle goes down. Uh, it says that Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties um, and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Everybody's laughing like, uh, is this for real? Um, okay. Uh, and he also divided the two fish among them. And the result is this. They all ate and were satisfied. They all ate. And I'm not just like enough to get by like, hey, I'm good. They ate to the point where they're like, I literally cannot eat anymore. It's amazing. In fact, more than that, it, the disciples, like, they picked up 12 basketfuls, one for each of them, of broken pieces of bread and fish. They thought it'd be a miracle just to meet the need. Jesus exceeds the need. Each one of them has a whole basket of leftovers as if to say, bro, you got no idea what I can do. You have no idea. This might be the first time you're going to be feeding people, but uh, it's not going to be the last. Here's an extra basket full of food just so you learn your lesson. And then the, the ending, the number of men, men, just men, they counted families by the, the head of the household. So, I mean, this is talking way more, but the men who were there were 5,000. And that's the, that's the, the miracle. That's the, the story. Um, a crowd who was hungry, some disciples who were told, you feed them. A little boy who just brought what he had. And a rabbi, our savior, who did a miracle, the likes of which no one had ever seen. And it was so astounding that we're still talking about it this to, to this day. And you just mention it and most people on planet earth will go like, oh yeah, I've heard of that day. I've heard of that day. And I've heard of that boy. Isn't it crazy? In East Cobb Church, the, the main reason that I believe, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but the main reason that I suspect uh, that God wanted me to read this story to you today and remind you of this story today is um, because we're in it. We're in it. Because according to this, according to this, Jesus' plan for feeding the hungry of the world is you and me. Like, let that, let that sink in for just like one second. That Jesus is like looking at the hunger in our community. You know, hunger for meaning, for purpose, for love, connection, for, for restoration, for freedom, for redemption, for, for, me, you know, for life and life to the fullest. And he's looking at that need and then he has turned to you and to me. And he said, your turn. You feed them. The bread of life has a plan for satisfying us and everyone that we live around. And his plan, crazy enough, is you and me. That you would be like an Uber Eats of grace. You know what I mean? That you would be like a, a door dash of truth. That you would be, I don't know, a, a, a food bank of freedom and forgiveness. That you would be like the grub hub of God's plan and his purpose and his calling and his, and his will for our lives. His plan is that you and I would be like, like conduits, like a way station for the, the resources of the kingdom of heaven to get to those who need it most, to those who are hungry. 
his plan is that like, I know it sounds a little cheesy, but it's like true. His plan is that like you would do delivery for the bread of life. And that's a really big deal. Because hey, we, we know this, Christians, you, 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 know, you know this, that, that it is true that there are a lot of amazing things and a lot of amazing opportunities and a lot of incredible experiences out there in the world. And it is also true that most of us within earshot of me right now have way more food than we will ever need. But it is equally true that Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy. Remember what it said? It said they ate and they were what? Satisfied. I mean, we all know money can't do that. I don't need to tell you that. We all know that. We all know that fame can't do that. We all know that another house, another car, a better house, a better car can't do that. We all know that there's no dinner that can do that. You'll be hungry in just a few hours. We all know there's no experience. There's no pleasure. There's no adventure. There's no vacation. There's no recognition. There's no accolade. There's no relationship that can do that. And that's because we were ultimately made for God and nothing else will satisfy. And he's put that in your hands, the bread of life. And by the way, if you're not a Christian, you're not a Christian, listen, You know, one of the most compelling reasons I believe personally that you should consider following Jesus is this right here is because he has claimed that he can satisfy your soul. Like, you know, all the other things that you've learned from experience and proven that they don't do that. Jesus said, I can satisfy your soul. I can satisfy you. I am the bread of your life. And what if it's true? What if it's true? Maybe you should try him out. Maybe you should follow him and see for yourself. And Christians, that's what God has put in our hands. That's what he has asked us to deliver. He's asked us to be a conduit of the grace and the mercy and the filling and the satisfaction of God, the bread of life. And by the way, not just a conduit, but a satisfied customer. Did you know that? Did you know that one of the most compelling like uh, advertisements or testimonies about Jesus that you have to offer the world is I have tasted and seen that the Lord is What? That he is good, uh, or, or that I, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, what? Want, I don't lack anything, I have found the bread of life and he has satisfied me. Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy and God has entrusted the delivery to you and me. It's like, are you kidding? I don't think anyone has put something of more importance and value in my hands, Ever. But the crucial question is simply this. Will we see the hunger? But not only that, will we see the hunger, but secondly, will we realize that it's our turn? Will we realize that it's our turn? It's your turn. And, that, and that's why we started this church. That's why we created this church. I mean, all those years ago when it was like gathering in a home, that's why. That's why we started it in the middle of a pandemic. It's why we've given our lives to it all of these years. And it's why we are moving it to a new location, find more seats at a better time. Because this is God's chosen vehicle for delivering the bread of life. And we don't want to miss our turn. Man, I don't want to miss our turn. With our time and in our turn, man, I want to make a difference. I want to move the needle. I want to do something when it's our turn. We only got a short window anyway. Man, I want to take advantage of it. I want to see God do something supernatural and miraculous, don't you? We don't want to miss it. And I know you don't either. I know you don't either. Even if you're not a Christian, I know you don't either. 
I know that you want to be a person and you want to have a family and you want to raise kids that don't just say, hey, somebody else should do something. Somebody else should do something. But that when they see a need or they see someone hurting, they go, it's my turn. This is my time. I'm going to do something. And yes, it's daunting. It just feels just as impossible as it felt to the disciples. They're looking at it, all this need and going like, what in the world can I do about that? And I mean, sure, it feels absolutely impossible. But listen, Jesus isn't asking you to bankroll the whole thing. He's not asking you to, to put the whole problem on your back. No, he's just asking you to do exactly what this little boy did. He's asking you to bring what you have. He's just asking you to bring what you have. Why? Because he can take five loaves and two fishes and he can turn them into 12 extra baskets. That's why. And man, you have no idea. You have no idea how Jesus wants to use your five loaves and two fishes to change somebody else's life. You have no idea how Jesus wants to use your five loaves and two fishes to, 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 to feed somebody else's need, to meet somebody else's need. You have no idea how he wants to use it to direct their steps. You have no idea how he wants to use it to save them pain and regret. You have no idea how he might want to use it to introduce them to their creator and their savior. You have no idea what Jesus wants to do with your five loaves and two fishes. All you know is that he said to you exactly what he said said to that little boy, hey, here, bring it to me. And don't you kind of want to find out what he might do with it? I do. And that's the crossroads we're at. Just to recap, this is the story. This is our story. One that Jesus is inviting us to step into and to bring alive and make real right here, right now in our church and in our days we're going to go find better, more seeds at a better time. We're going to do that because we're not the only ones that are hungry. And it's our turn. And it's our turn. And though it looks impossible to accomplish the task, that's okay. We're being led by the one who fed 5,000. And this is all he's asking us to do. And so this is what I want to end with. I believe that we are on the front end of something extraordinary. I think God is, 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 is a, wanting to do something extraordinary, yes, in us, but also through us. And I believe that if we will bring what we have, that he's going to multiply it. He can do miraculous things with it and he will do more than we ever imagined with it. And I believe that because that's what he's already done. In just the past three years, this is what God has done. I mean, we launched this church like literally in the beginning of the pandemic. And, and already, I mean, this is what God has done already. 103 baptisms. We have 114 Wombaland kids involved. I mean, this is just of this month, 342 in Upstreet, that's our elementary school, 260 in transit, 251 in Inside Out, 608 adults in group, 1,350 as of today, current active adults in our church. And those are just numbers. Like those numbers don't represent the lives that were changed or the needs that were met or the difference that was made and all that. I mean, these are just numbers. That's what God's already done. And now he's calling us to a little bit bigger field. And it's like, can you imagine what he's going to do next? I sure want to see. But the only catch is we're going to have to bring what we have. And that's what I want to end with. There are three things that we need to make this move possible. And I want to invite you to consider how you might want to bring what you have to make this move possible as God is leading us in a new direction. And here they are. Here's what we need to make this move possible. The move will require 30 people to be on a road crew. 
Road crew are people who are going to set this church up at Fellowship Christian School. And you're like, I know, we're going to need 30 people to help us set up and tear down East Cobb Church at Fellowship Christian School. We're going to have a morning road crew. We're going to have an afternoon road crew and an evening one just to split up the work. Um, But I need at least 30 of you. The more of you that can say yes, the more uh, turns we can take and go every other week. Um, But we need 30 people to say yes to being on a road crew. Um, You're going to get one of these as you leave, or you got one actually when you walked in. And uh, you can go to East Cobb Church org slash the move or click that QR code right here um, and say, I'm willing to be on a road crew and I need some of you to say, yeah, I'll bring what I have. I got some hands and feet or I got a mind to pack a truck or I got logistics. I can do, I can, I can, I can help. Um, and, and if you do, when you go to this website, you're going to see the road crew button and you can click on that and let us know, hey, count me in. I'll bring what I have. I can help. Second thing we're going to need. Uh, in order the, for the move to happen. The move will require a $406,000 increase in our recurring giving. We're gonna move to a new location. We've got higher rent for a building. We're gonna be renting sound, gear, lights, a truck to transport it all in. And, and the increased cost in annual giving is $406,000. And we need to raise that much more in, in, in planned giving. I'm not just talking about one-time gifts. I'm talking about the kind where you schedule it and it's happening every month or every year. Uh, and I know that this sounds like a lot, um, but if you just divide that one by 12 months, it's about $33,000 a month. And like I said, we have 1,350 active adults. And if every one of us just did an equal part, all it would take is for us to give approximately $25 a month per person, more than we're currently giving. And I need to ask, I would like to ask, Right now, 43% of the people that partake of East Cobb Church help fund what happens here. And I would love to move that to 100%. Whether you can, I mean, and $25 a month is all it would take for just one person to do our part. Some of us can do more than that. That's okay. Some of us are not able to do, do any of it. Some people will cover your, your, you know, your spot. But if we just gave $25 or $25 more a month, that would make this move possible. And if you want to bring what you have. And you're like, Hey, I could do 25. I could do $25 a month for the next year, for the next two years. Uh, Sarah and I are going to uh, up our giving by amount more than 25 because we want to cover some spots that people that I know may not be able to give. But if you feel led to join us in that, you can go right here. You can click give and this page will come up and you can write $25 set recurring giving and hit enter. I think this is one of the most powerful buttons on the internet. The church is the light of the world. And when you invest in the light of the world, the God's chosen vehicle for delivering the bread of life, you are making a difference. Every dollar you give doesn't change my salary. That's set completely independent. It goes directly to building a church that does services on Sunday and meets needs during the week. That's what we do. Every dollar is gonna go straight to that. But this is what it's gonna take. And then finally, finally, um, I need everyone to invite someone. I need everyone to invite someone. I'd love for every single one of us to think who's God placed in your orbit that you could invite to come sit with you. Somebody that you know, a neighbor down the street, a friend of your kids, someone who's going through a tough transition or a tough time, or could just use a community and invite them to come sit with you on November 12th. And if you go to the website, you can click on invite. And uh, it takes you to our Instagram page. All the assets of stuff that you can like send people a link. There's a video on there that's advertising our time. You can find it all here. But This is what it's going to take if you go back to that list. We're going to need everyone to do their part. Bring what you have. Bring what you have. God is calling us to a little bit bigger field. He's placed us in this crowded community. And he said, hey, just bring what you have. 
And I want to see what he's going to do with it. And I'm so excited to see with you what God has in store for us. So let's bring him our five loaves and our two fishes. And let's believe that he can do the miraculous because I believe he will. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for where you're calling us. Thank you for what you're doing. I pray that you would give us courage to just bring what we have and that you would take it and do something far beyond anything we imagined. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.